Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it be your word heard, your voice received, and Father, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. I pray that you open our hearts to receive from you this morning, and that we hear your voice and take to heart what you are saying and teaching to us. Breathe upon us new life in your Ruach this morning. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. This week we're in Parsha Tetzaveh, which begins with Exodus chapter 27, verse 20. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up there. Uh, and we're going to focus today on the priesthood, and in particular, a couple of facets of how the Lord has prescribed for the priest, the Aaronic priesthood, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, to, uh, to function and, and such. So as we look in uh, verse 20 of chapter 27, the Lord says, Also you were to command in Israel, the children of Israel, that they are to bring to you pure olive oil beaten for the light, to cause a lamp to burn continually in the tent of meeting, outside the curtain which is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons will set it in order to burn from evening to morning before Adonai. It will be a statute forever throughout their generations on behalf of B'nai Israel. And continue to verse 1, bring your brother Aaron near with his son from among B'nai Israel so that they may minister to me as Kohanim, as priests, Aaron and his sons, Nadav, Abihu, Eleazar, and Itamar. You are to make holy garments for your brother Aaron, for splendor and for beauty. You are to speak to all who are skilled, whom I have filled with a spirit of artistry to make Aaron's garments for consecrating him, so that he may minister to me as a Kohen. These are the garments that you are to make, a breastplate and a fod, a robe, a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, they are to make holy garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that he may minister to me as Kohen, as priests. Um, here's what's interesting about this is that the Lord prescribes specific garments for the priesthood, right? So some of you may be asking, well, why in the world all these dudes have their head covered around here with a yarmulke on, right? Or a kippah in Hebrew, yarmulke in Yiddish. And, uh, and this is kind of where it comes from. The, the, the high priest was commanded to wear a particular head covering. Now, in this case, it was a turban. Uh, and we don't wear turbans per se. We wear a yarmulke. But there are segments of uh, Judaism that do, in fact, wear turbans. Uh, but the reason we have our head covered is because the Lord prescribed that we would be priests, that we are a nation of Kohanim. And so he commanded the priests in service before the Lord to have their head covered. And so traditionally, we believe that we're in service before the Lord at all times, and we should have our head covered as the priest did. We are not priests in the order of Aaron, but we are, as God pro prescribed, a priesthood. And what I mean by that is if you go back to Exodus 19, beginning of verse 3, Exodus 19 is the beginning of the Sinai experience, the Sinai account, when the nation of Israel stood at Mount Sinai and heard the audible voice of God speak forth. They saw the tangible the divine glory of the Lord descend upon the mountain. And in verse 3 of chapter 19, it says, Moses went up to God, and Adonai called to him from the mountain, saying, Say this to the house of Jacob, and tell B'nai Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice, and keep my covenant. Then you will be my own treasure from among all the people, for all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of Kohanim and a holy nation. 
These are the words which you were to speak to Bnei Israel, the children of Israel. And we recognize as we move through the scriptures that the Lord specifically called Israel out to be a light to the nations, to carry the word of the Lord, the faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, faith in the one true and only God of all creation to the nations. He called us out to be priests, a nation of Kohanim among the nations. But the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, recognized very swiftly, as he did with Adam and Eve, that we were going to jack it all up. And we weren't going to be very good at it, and we weren't. We hoarded the word of God. We hoarded the tabernacle and the temple. We hoarded our relationship with the Lord. We hoarded the reality that we were called uh, the Lord's chosen people as though that made us better than other people rather than sharing the light of the Lord with the nations around us as God had prescribed and called us to be. And so it's important as we look at this, what what God has done uh, in the work of Messiah is restored that reality of being a light into the nations. And uh, the, the fact is, is God knew that Israel wasn't going to carry out their God-ordained calling to be a light to the nations in the way they should, but more specifically, he knew that in order for them to do so, they would need examples themselves. They would need priests to serve before them for them to see what a priest looks like to serve before the nations. So God calls out the Levitical lineage, the, the tribe of Levi, and says, okay, well, here's a special set of rules and, and ordinances and commandments specifically for you and how you're going to serve the Lord before the nation of Israel so that they can see an example of service before me. And he goes, okay, cool. Well, the Levites are probably going to need an example too. So then he calls out the Aaronic lineage, the, the uh, high priest, the Kohenim Gadolim, the, the high priest who uh, are Aaron and his sons. And he says, I'm going to call this family out to be a higher grade of a priest, if you would, to be an example before the Levites who are an example before the nation of Israel, who is to be an example before the nations. And then he goes a little further and says, but not only am I calling out Aaron's lineage, but I'm going to call out Aaron's firstborn lineage to be the high priest who is going to serve in the very presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies once a year and be able to enter into that presence. So he calls out an example from the example, which was from an example, which was for an example to those that were going to be an example. Does that make sense? I hope so, because I lost track, and I'm not going to be able to repeat that quite as eloquently. Um, but, but in particular, he calls out the Aaronic priesthood. He calls out the, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, to serve as an example before the, nations, uh, the nation of Israel so that we could then return that example to the world around us. And so in Judaism, we look at that, and we hold to that concept, and we, we love the value and the imagery of that concept. And as Messianic Judaism, we hold even more so to the reality that that was merely a foreshadowing of what we were called to do in the first place, to be a light to the nations that is now restored in the work of Messiah. We go back to this week's Torah Parsha in Exodus 28, uh, picking up verse 9. Uh, it says, you are to take uh, two onyx stones uh, and engrave on them the name of Bnei Israel, the name of the children of Israel, uh, six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. In other words, the tribes of Israel with the work of a gem cutter engraving a seal etch the two stones in the order of the names of Bnei Israel, make them enclosed in settings of gold, fasten the two stones upon the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be a memorial stone, uh, be memorial stones for Bnei Israel. So Aaron 
is to bear their names before Adonai on his two shoulders as a reminder. Now, remember, our shoulders, often we see this imagery that the shoulders carry the weight of the world, right? That's how we hear that, that concept. And so we, we carry the weight of everything going on around us upon our shoulders and, uh, and that imagery. And so here, Aaron, the high priest, is called to go into the tabernacle and later the temple to serve the Lord, wearing uh, the weight of the nation of Israel upon his shoulders as a memorial, as a reminder before the Lord uh, as he served the Lord. It goes on to verse 15. Make a breastplate of judgment, the work of a skillful craftsman. You are to make it like a design of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and finely twisted linen. It is to be square and doubled over a span in length and a span in width. The stones, skipping down to verse 21, the stones are to be engraved in the order of the names of B'nai Israel, 12 according to their names, like the etchings of a signet, signet seal, on correspond, one corresponding to each name of the 12 tribes. So the onyx stones upon the shoulder served as a memorial before the Lord. The breastplate, on the other hand, serves as a reminder of judgment before the Lord, so that uh, Israel is judged fairly before the Lord, but also so that Israel is constantly before the Lord in in terms of being called to repentance, and so on and so forth. And so as we look through these, these little pieces, and there's so much more with the mantle, the garments that he wore, and the ephod, and uh, the sash that he wore, and even the headpiece that he wore, and all these things that went into it, there's so much imagery here. And by the way, a lot of this imagery is carried over into our Torah service, and the Torah scroll, and the way that the Torah scroll is dressed, and it has the breastplate on it, and it has the mantle over it, and uh, has the sash around it, and all these different things. All of this carries over, which is really interesting that this is tradition within Judaism, uh, non-believing Judaism, to dress the Torah in such a way when it's the Brach in particular that calls out the reality that Yeshua is the Word of God, made flesh, tabernacling amongst us, and Hebrews brings out the idea that Yeshua is the high priest in the order of Malchizedek. So we see the imagery upon the Torah scroll, which points us to Messiah, of Messiah as the priest in the order of Malchizedek, and we see this connection in the Jewish mind to this reality, but they're not quite making that step to the recognition of who Yeshua is as that Messiah. So we go on a little further in this Parsha as we continue to dig through the imagery of what God has prescribed for uh, the priest of Israel to wear. Verse 29 of chapter 28 says, Aaron will bear the names of B'nai Israel and the breastplate of judgment on his heart whenever he enters the holy place as a continual memorial before Adonai. Also put the Urim and the Tumim uh, within the breastplate of judgment so they will be on Aaron's heart, when he goes in before Adonai, Aaron will bear the judgment of B'nai Israel on his heart before Adonai continually. Let that sink in for a moment. I'm going to reread that line. Aaron will bear the judgment of B'nai Israel on his heart before Adonai continually. Yeshua, our high priest, in the order of Malchizedek, literally bared the judgment that was due us upon himself, that we could have eternal life in his midst, that we could be restored to the presence of the Lord. None of this is wasted words. The Lord doesn't waste anything. He's got a purpose to everything that he says in the word of God. And unfortunately, most of the body of Messiah is cast away. All of the reality of the importance of the tabernacle and the priesthood and the imagery mentioned throughout the Tanakh because most of the body of Messiah looks as though the word of God renewed or restarted again in Matthew and everything in the Old Testament. There's quaint stories to be found there, but there's nothing really valuable in terms of our faith in Messiah. But the reality is, is the New Testament 
has its founding, its roots, its understandings buried in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, particularly the Torah. And we can't fully understand the imagery of who Yeshua is as both our Melech Mashiach, our King Messiah, and our, our, our uh, Kohen Gadol, our high priest in the order of Malchitzedek. Keep in mind, Malchitzedek was a very important person because of the fact that he was not only called the King of Salem, the King of Peace, right? Who else is there that's the king of peace? He was not only called the king of peace, but the scriptures tell us in Genesis that he was the priest of El Elyon, the priest of the Lord Most High, right? So in Messiah, we see both king and priest. As in uh, Malchitzedek, we see both king and priest. And I believe personally that Malchitzedek was a pre-incarnate image of Messiah, that Malchitzedek is what we would call a theophany in theological language, that it was the visible image of the invisible God, as Colossians 1.15 says, appearing in Genesis, because keep in mind, Yeshua wasn't an afterthought. Yeshua is God robed in flesh. Yeshua wasn't an afterthought. He was the only thought. God knew what we were going to do. He knew the sins of Adam and Eve and all of their descendants before he ever spoke the beginnings of the foundations of creation to existence. Messiah was always the point. Yeshua was always the end result. And everything from Genesis 1 leading up to Messiah's ministry in the, the Gospels was to point us to Messiah and what he would do. And here we see this imagery of this priestly garments and the, the, the things that they would wear and in particular what they were to mean for the nation of Israel before the Lord. We skip to chapter 29, verse 44, and it says, So I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also sanctify Aaron and his sons to minister to me as Kohanim, as priests. So I will dwell among B'nai Israel and be their God. Then they will know that I am Adonai, their God, who brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, so that I may live among them. I am Adonai, their God. And as we move toward the end of Exodus, we see the literal presence of the Shekhinah, the divine glory of the Lord, fall upon the completed tabernacle in such a way that the nation of Israel's only response was to fall on their faces before the Lord. By the way, we see the mirroring image of that in Chronicles chapter 1, uh, in 1 Chronicles uh, 6 and 7, right before, if my people who are called by my name, we go back a little bit in the passage and we see that they were finishing the building of the temple and celebrating Sukkot for the first time in the completed temple and had a huge festival after that. And in the midst of this, they see the presence of God fall as they consecrated and anointed the temple. They see the Shekhinah, the divine glory of God, fall in the same way it did at the end of Exodus and First Chronicles. And the only thing that Solomon and the priesthood and the nation of Israel could do was fall on their faces before the Lord. Now, where this gets interesting is not only does the priesthood serve as a foreshadowing of Yeshua. Not only does the priesthood point directly to Yeshua as Messiah, but we go back again to what we talked about earlier in Exodus 19, verse 3, and I'm going to read this again because I want this to sink in. Moses went up to God, and Adonai called to him from the mountain, saying, Say this to the house of Jacob, and tell B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all people, for all the earth is mine. By the way, before we read verse 6, I want to remind you, Yeshua mimics these words when he says, if you love me, obey my commands. Verse 6, so as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of kohanim, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words which you were to speak to B'nai Israel. So the nation of Israel, as we said, was meant to be priests themselves. And God called forth the Levites and then called forth the ironic order of the priesthood to serve as examples for Israel, who was to be a light to the nations around them. We see at the beginning of this Parsha, uh, Parsha Tetzaveh, at the very beginning, verse 20 of chapter 27, it speaks about the Ner Tamid, the eternal light, particularly the menorah that would hang or serve, stand in the, the inner courts, uh, the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place. And in particular, it says right outside the, uh, the, 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 the curtain between the the, the holy place and the holy of holies. It served as a light before the holy place, uh, the holy of holies, a light, uh, a light that filled the holy place where the altar of incense was, and so on and so forth. And we see all of this imagery going on, and the priest day in and day out had to make sure that there was oil in there and that the lamp was constantly lit and that it never went out. It was an eternal ordinance that this light was to continue on. By the way, God called Israel to be a light into the nations. Let this sink in. They were commanded, the priests were commanded eternally to make sure that the light, the ner tamid, the eternal light, continued to burn no matter what. And Israel was called to be a light to the nations. We were called to carry the ner tamid, the literal presence of God, the shekhinah, the divine glory, which when it rested upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies was represented primarily as what? Fire. The light of the Lord that led the path for Israel, that took them into battle, that led them into the promised land, that led them out of the thwarts of slavery in Egypt. They were to carry that light to the nations. And in order to carry the light of Messiah, we must first continually stoke the fire of the light of Messiah. We must continually be in prayer before the Lord. We must continually be in the word of the Lord. We must continually be in worship and constantly stoking that fire. Hence the reason why we're told in the Brachat Hashad to pray ceasingly, never end, continually digging into the presence of the Lord no matter what. This comes home in 1 Peter 2.9 in which Peter reiterates the words, of the Lord at Mount Sinai, but this time he's not just speaking to the physical nation of Israel, but he's speaking to the spiritual nation of Israel, which includes both Jew and Gentile who are grafted into the root and the fatness of the olive tree, who have accepted the promised Jewish Messiah as our atonement and our salvation. And in 1 Peter 2.9 it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you were God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have been shown mercy. Post the blood atonement of Messiah, post the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Messiah, post the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, which is the tangible presence of the Lord in our hearts and our lives, we are reiterated with the promise that God is going to make us a nation of Kohanim. This is something spoken to the believing Jews and Gentiles, reiterating what God spoke at Mount Sinai, which I believe fervently in contrast to what some of the traditional Jewish world would have us believe, I believe fervently included the mixed multitude that left, Israel, left Egypt with Israel. And the Lord spoke to the mixed multitude of both the nation of Israel and the nations that grafted themselves in with them and said, I will make you a nation of Kohanim, the king's priesthood, 
And here in 1 Peter 2.9, it is reiterated again that we are called to be the king's priesthood. In Hebrews 7, uh, we see throughout Hebrews this imagery of Yeshua as the priest in the order of Malchizedek. And in this line of thought in Hebrews 7, verse 25, it picks up, Therefore, he is also able to save completely those who draw near to God through him always living to make intercession for them, speaking of Yeshua. For such a Kohen Gadol, a high priest was fitting for us, holy, guiltless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He, he has no need to offer up sacrifices then day by day, like those of other Kohenim Gadolim. First for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. For when he offered up himself, he did this once for all. For the Torah appoints as Kohanim, Gedolim, men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which came after the Torah appoints a son made perfect forever. And then continues on in chapter 8. Now here is the main point being said. We do have such a Kohen Gadol who, is, who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He is a priestly attendant of the holies of the true tent which Adonai set up, not man. For every Kohen Gadol, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary for this one also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a Kohen at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the Torah. Yeshua is of the lineage of Yehuda, of Judah, not the lineage of Levi or Aaron. They offer service in a replica and foreshadower of the heavenlies, one that is just as Moses was instructed by God when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For he says, See that you make it according to the design that was shown to you on the mountain. But now Yeshua has obtained a more excellent ministry insofar as he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. This covenant is not a new covenant. As a matter of fact, most people read Hebrews 8 and they teach from it that this is speaking of a brand new covenant that replaces the old covenant. But if we read Hebrews in context, and in particular Hebrews 7 and 8 in context, there is a specific covenant that the Lord is speaking about. It's not a covenant made with Israel at Sinai. It's not a covenant made with Abraham pre-Egypt. It's not a covenant made through Moses to the nation as a whole. It's a covenant made to Aaron and his descendants as the high priest. The better covenant is a covenant that Aaron was merely a foreshadowing of, which is the covenant of Messiah Yeshua as our high priest and the order of Malchizedek. Aaron was a sinful man just as you and I are sinful. Aaron wasn't spotless. He wasn't perfect. And his sacrifices were not once for all. His sacrifice was performed day in and day out, year in and year out, constantly having to serve uh, offering and sacrifice the Lord. Every single year, once a year, having to go into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle the blood of atonement upon the mercy seat, no matter what. His sacrifice had to be atonement for himself before atonement for Israel. He had to make atonement for the earthly tabernacle before he could make atonement for himself in Israel. But that earthly tabernacle was merely an image of what was in the heavenlies. And Yeshua is the greater promise of that covenant of the priesthood who serves not in the tabernacle here on earth, but in the one that is in the heavenlies. That was the original design in the first place. It was first shown to Moses and the model of the tabernacle here on earth was built after. Yeshua serves as a high priest who doesn't have to offer atonement day in and day out. 
but once and for all because he is spotless. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is holy. And the blood of this spotless lamb now makes us righteous and holy before him. You and I now have the ability to serve in the function and the role as the king's kohanim, the king's priest that we were always ordained to be as the ones who are breathing the breath of God himself within us. We are now made righteous and holy to serve in that function. It doesn't mean we're not going to sin, but what it does mean is that our atonement has made, been made eternal and all we have to do is return back in repentance to the Lord, which, by the way, is the exact message of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of Ezekiel, and every other prophet in the Tanakh. Every single time the Lord said, I will destroy Israel and Jerusalem and cast you among the nations. He said, but if you simply return to me, if you simply make teshuvah, if you simply repent and walk away from your evil ways, I will bring you and restore you back and I will stay this punishment, this judgment that is upon you. Just as Aaron serves before the, the, in the tabernacle, before the presence of the Lord, carrying upon his shoulders the weight of Israel, carrying upon his chest over his heart the sins and the judgment to Israel. Messiah stands in the holies carrying the weight of our sins upon himself. He offered his life as our eternal sacrifice to remove the guilt and shame that we rightly deserve. Not only that, but he's now restored us to the place of the priesthood that you and I can wear, figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking, the Urim and Tumim upon us. The light and perfections is what that translates to. That we can wear the light and perfections upon us. That is the presence of Messiah, the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, so that the world around us will see the presence of the king's Kohanim, the king's priesthood, so that we can usher them back to the presence of the Lord. We go forward in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter the holies by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Yeshua. He inaugurated a new and living way for us through the curtain, that is, his flesh. We also have a Kohen Gadola high priest over God's household. So let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed pure in pure water. We have boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Yeshua. In the earthly tabernacle, in the earthly temple, only one man a year could go into the Holy of Holies and only once a year and only on Yom Kippur. And he went in to carry blood of an earthly vessel to sprinkle upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies to bring atonement for humanity, particularly atonement for Israel and never actually washed away our sins, never actually fully atoned for Israel's sins. If it did, it wouldn't need to happen year after year. Instead, all it did was push our sins forward and our judgment forward one more year, one more year. Anybody ever watch the snowball roll down a hill? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But Yeshua entered the Holy of Holies of the heavenly, the one from which the earthly Holy of Holies was only in design of. He entered the Holy of Holies in the heavenlies to offer his blood, not earthly blood, heavenly blood to pour out his life upon the mercy seat in the holy of holies because the life force is in the blood 
that you and I could be restored in the life force of God's presence, that you and I could be washed clean from our sins, that we could have full assurance of faith, that we could be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water, that we can boldly enter the Holy of Holies. And not only boldly enter the Holy of Holies, but you and I are the tabernacle of the Lord here and now. We carry the presence of the Lord in the world around us. We should be following the direction and the leading of the presence of the Lord so that our lives can be a light unto the nations. So that the nations can see us and who we are in the Lord and the redemption that we have experienced and be able to find it, walk in it, and be restored through it, just as you and I have. We have been restored to be the king's koanim, to be a priestly nation. Verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2 again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praise of the one who called you out of darkness into this marvel, his marvelous light. Just as the earthly high priest constantly served in mediation for the nation of Israel, you and I have the same responsibility to constantly serve in mediation and prayer and covering people in prayer of both physical Israel, because we know Messiah says he will not return until all Israel proclaims, we know, Paul says in Romans 11, that when Israel comes to faith in Messiah, it will be life from the dead for the body of Messiah. You and I have the same responsibility that Aaron had as the high priest and that his sons had as the high priest to constantly be in mediation for the nation of Israel to come to know the true saving grace of Messiah Yeshua. But likewise, we have the same responsibility for the entire world to be in constant mediation and prayer for the nations to come to faith in Messiah Yeshua, for revival to be poured out, for the realities of the Holy of Holies that we get to enter into day in and day out to be something that the world as a whole gets to experience and to make sure that you and I are not the only ones standing on the inside of the gates of the heavenlies when all is said and done and judgment is proclaimed. It is our duty, our responsibility to go into all the nations, proclaiming the good news of Messiah Yeshua, which is that he served as a high priest and a better covenant, a true covenant, one of which the previous priesthood and covenant of the priesthood was merely a foreshadow of, to offer freely atoning life, restoring life, fullness in life in Messiah Yeshua, fullness in life in the kingdom of God. You and I can't do it on our own. We can't come close. We don't have a snowball's chance. But there is a necessity for us to recognize that Messiah Yeshua came and offered his life because he recognized that we didn't have a chance of doing it on our own. He recognized that before he ever breathed the first words of creation. And his plan was always to send his son, his only son, that we may have eternal life in his midst. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we thank you, Lord, that you have in fact given us an example of how we are to serve as the king's koanim and that of Messiah Yeshua. Father, I thank you that you have called us to be something greater in the blood atonement of Messiah. Father, I thank you that you have reiterated and restored your covenant 
of making us a light to the nations, that you have brought together both Jew and Gentile in the blood atonement of Messiah to be a light to the nations, to drive our Jewish people to jealousy for their God. Father, that we may see life from the dead and the world around us and the body of Messiah around us, that we may see the truth of your atonement poured out upon our friends, our family, our loved ones, our co-workers. Father, that we may see the light of Messiah be accepted and be embraced by all of those we come into contact with. And Father, that we may see a continuation of the growth of the kingdom of God as you have called us to be disciples, discipling disciples. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen. Amen.